0: Wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, is a podcast that discusses sex, intimate and sexual situations, sexualized anatomy, alcohol, and substance use. Naughty language will be used. We recommend listeners be 18 or older, as some content will not be suitable for younger listeners. Individual episodes may contain additional content warnings. Please refer to these at the start of each episode to keep yourself safe. Most importantly, have fun and enjoy. The man's run on three things, caffeine, sass, and smut. The last two we provide to the masses every week, but we haven't found a way to make a caffeinated podcast yet. Which is why I'm proud to introduce Atlas Coffee Club to you, our darling listeners. Atlas Coffee Club curates the top 1% of the world's best coffee, roasted and ground to your preference, and delivered freshly to your door. Each month you'll receive single-origin 100% Arabica coffee from a new country, a postcard from that country, and an info card detailing the country's history, tasting notes for the beans, and context about what makes your coffee unique. With a focus on sustainability and a commitment to paying above fair trade prices, Atlas Coffee Club is a great way to start the morning with a whole lot of good. Want to get in on this one-of-a-kind experience? Use code WBTYM at checkout, or go to atlascoffeeclub.com/wbtym to get 50% off your first month subscription and up to $50 off gifts. Get flirty and stay thirsty. Welcome to Wham Bam. Thank you, ma'am. The smuttiest sluttiest podcast this side of literary analysis. I'm Corinne, and I'm here because I studied media and literature in college, and I wrangled these hooligans into being here with me. Roxy, why are you here? I'm here because I'm part of the hooligan wrangling program. <laughs> <laughs> are what? you a pro-hooligan wrangler? What? No, I've been wrangled. One ah. day,
1: one day, I hope to to fulfill the hours needed for my community service so I may be released... And be a reformed member of society and no longer a hooligan. Also, hi. Uh, My name is Roxy. I'm a mental health professional. Um, And I like reading smut. And I can't escape. Help. Off to you, Corinne.
0: (laughs) That was not a call for help. Everybody who is listening, she is fine. I promise. Um, oh, sorry, Andy. I just have this weird cough. Help. <laughs> oh, it's so weird, my <laughs> bitch. <laughs> oh, it's so weird! <laughs> Andy, Andy, um, I did, you know, Roxy's having her coughing fit. You should
2: really tell the people why you're here. Um, I, um, well, I gotta find that piece of paper you gave me. I mean, um, that I found on my door. Um, definitely not from anyone we know. Um... Hi, I'm here um, because I've been ingratiated in the fandom culture longer than anyone should be ingratiated in the fandom Tell culture. Tell them how much money we want. Uh, um, don't forget that. you um,
1: uh, <laughs> <laughs> will see your family again, don't you? Read the read. <laughs> God damn it.
2: Rock's Tell them to deposit the it into our offshore bank account. <laughs> um, hi, I'm Andy, also known as Super Andyness everywhere. Uh, I have been, I'm here because I've been ingratiated in Phantom culture longer than it is appropriate For any human being with a pulse and two thumbs To be ingratiated into Phantom culture We're working on the thumb thing, it's fine Yeah,
0: she's gonna get rid of them. <laughs> Just have little hands
1: I hate the Hitting hand symbols us. Y'all are doing in the the, <laughs> the Zoom chat I, uh, Put it down Don't
0: <laughs> Don't Well, thank you so much for joining me, both of you. Now, this episode, we're covering Lord of the Last Heartbeat by Mae Peterson, and it is a wild ride. It brought Roxy to tears.
1: I was in a Discord call this morning, and I was sobbing after reading this book. I was... I'm not going to spoil things this early in the episode, but y'all, I was sobbing. God damn it, May. That's the name of the author. That's the person I will be billing my mental health uh, bills to, which is funny because I'm a a... therapist. I I can't just yell at the mirror and therapize myself. So May May did
0: a hell of a job.
1: (laughs) May, God damn
0: it. God damn it, woman. And for the summary, stop me, please. Three words scrawled in blood red wine, a note furtively passed into the hands of a handsome stranger. Only death can free Mio from his mother's political schemes. He's put his trust in the enigmatic Rodri, an immortal moon soul with the power of the bear spirit to put an end to it all. But Rodri cannot bring himself to kill Mio, whose spellbinding voice has the power to expose secrets from the darkest recesses of the heart and mind, nor can he deny his attraction to the fair young sorcerer. So he spirits Mio away to his home, the only place he can keep him safe, if the curse that besieges the estate doesn't destroy them both first. In a world teeming with mages, ghosts, and dark secrets, love blooms between an unlikely pair. But if they are to be strong enough to overcome the evil that draws ever nearer, Mio and Rodri must first accept a happiness never ever expected to find. Content warnings for Lord of the Last Heartbeat are as follows: violence, murder, mentions of castration, mentions of metaphorical rape, mentions of theft slash loss of will, mentions of suicide, intentions of suicide for the greater good, mentions of persecution, abuse from a parent. Mentions of past slave trade, flashbacks, panic attacks, aphasia, internalized homophobia, and blood drinking. In case you're new to the show, we've read this book, taken notes, and highlighted some of the spiciest sections. We'll be discussing the story in sexy bits, comparing it to romance and smut fiction, with similar themes, setting, tropes, etc., while enjoying the signature drink of the episode. Today's signature drink is the last heartbeat. You can find recipes and instructions for the cocktail and mocktail versions of this drink in our discord and on our social media, WBTYMPod, basically any place you look. Stick around until the very end for a tingling tingler where we read a segment from National Treasure, Chuck Tingle. First drink of the episode's maams. give it a little swirl, make sure the sparkles are evident, and drink the blood. Delicious. Mm. Delicious blood. Blood. Gross. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so this book is, I think the first thing I want to say out of the gate is it is, it has such a deep and strange magical world. Like magic and the way this world is built, It it's done in a way that I don't think I've seen before. Like I, I don't really have a touchstone to really compare it to in the way in which this world is built. And I think part of that is because it pulls heavily from Italian culture, whereas a lot of fantasy pulls from English um, or uh, like Scottish Irish culture. Um, and, and I think that the Italian influence was really like an interesting spin on things, um, because one of the big things that's going on is that our main character's mother, Mio, is the head of a criminal organization. She's essentially controlling, um, the city and even parts of
2: the government. I just through... want to, oh, sorry. I just want to clarify. Yes. The main character's name is Mio. His mother's yes. name is Serafina. Sorry. Correct. The way you phrased that was a little confusing, so I was clarifying. I'm so sorry. Oh, that's okay.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. Main character's name is Mio. His mother's name is Serafina. He always refers to his mama. Um... He is in his early 20s. Um, I think he's between 21 and 23, I think. Um, and uh, he has lived at home essentially his entire life. His mother um, helped keep their family afloat during a civil war. Uh, the civil war was intended to make things better for their people, which are people who have magic, um, mages, sorcerers, etc. However, However, uh, while it did stop them from actively being, you know, traded uh in human like the human body trade, uh, or used by other people. It didn't really put them into the positions of being accepted that Serafina thought that it would. You know, she had fought in the war, so had her husband, and they had thought that once it was all over, they would be seen as equals. Um Instead, they are still persecuted. Um, it is less so. Like, technically, you know, the slave trade on people of magic origin are it is legal. Like, it's not legal to do. But they also can't run for public office. Um, they can't be government officials. There's various certain th- ways that they are being um, monitored, essentially. Because the non-magical people are afraid of them, in a sense. Um, they see them as kind of like parlor tricks when they're good and out to get them when they're bad, which isn't super the case. However, Serafina, Mio's mother, after the bitter realization that the war had not, you know, given her people and her family the freedom that it should have, decided that if the law wasn't going to work for her, she was going to work against the law and started a, um, essentially a criminal underground that she uses through a very unethical, like unethical way, which she can control people. Like she can do mind control. She can break their spirit, bend their will. She can take people and make them do as she wishes. But the only thing she needs to do it is a secret. Something that they don't want to give up. Something that they have guilt about. And the reason she says that is the reason why she needs that secret is is because that secret is holding them prisoner already. She's just taking the reins, essentially. And so you kind of understand where this woman is coming from. But at the same time, just because somebody has like a reason for, you know, stealing the will of others doesn't mean it's a good thing to do. And Mio, our main character, starts to realize that as he gets older because he's been helping her do this. Because Mio, as we learn, is also magic. Um, His brother is not, I don't believe his father was, Um, but Mio has the power to read minds with his voice. Well, he could sing to you. Oh, go ahead.
1: And, and I do want to say though, that the way this book starts and the way they introduce this concept is one of the most beautifully well-written introductions I have ever read. Very, very rarely when we read a romance novel, um, or just a novel that has romance in it, you know. Do we start with a person as a child and very yeah. childlike thinking, and we we start the book with Mio and his mother, Serafina, walking along a beach, and like Corinne said, um, there has been a terrible civil war, and resources are rough, so they are they are looking for food, they are collecting oysters, right. And she's, she's teaching him and training him how to shuck them, you know, how to use a knife, how to cut the the bits necessary. Um, but she is specifically training him on how to find the pearl. And at first, when you start reading this, you're like, what? What? Why? Why? Why am I reading about a dirty child holding oysters on a beach in my romance novel <laughs> with his mother? This is the least sexy frickin'. <laughs> and and um, it starts with him finding a pearl, finally. And she, she tells him, hide it under your tongue, you know, uh, because they are still being lorded over by a ruling class. Like Corinne said, they have fought for so many rights, and yet they still have so little Um, So if anything is found on the beach of Worth, they are patted down and searched. They cannot even have a single pearl they find from the ocean. So this little kid, little Neo, uh, hides it under his tongue, is so scared, and accidentally swallows it. And uh, they're, you know, talked to by the authorities, and everything happens, and he isn't discovered and afterwards, his mom is like, where did you hide it? They didn't find anything. He goes, I swallowed it. Like this little kid, you know, <laughs> sturdy little kid. <laughs> I I threw up, you know, kind of energy. <laughs> and the mom just starts laughing. And you think, okay, well, that was kind of a cute, weird, depressing post-war anecdote. And then you get to what finding the pearl really means.
0: Yes. And one thing that... um his mother said that uh, that I have quoted here is every heart everything that moves will resist and what what Mio what Serafino wants Mio to do with his magic is find the heart find the pearl find the thing that is hiding within people the secret the, the secret because that is what Serafina needs to take control because it's the thing that holds them captive it's what they don't want the world to know and once she has it she can bend them to her will literally figuratively uh, in all ways and so she's training him for years to find people's secrets using his magic which comes from his voice he can sing and get into people's minds. Well
1: and something in this world, uh, really quick, Corinne said how like it's really cool, like the magical setup, it's like unlike anything we've read. Like the reason it's the singing is because his magic comes from his throat. Ayo. Um God <laughs> damn but, it <laughs> his mom's magic comes from her eye. Yes. So like there's a reason it's singing.
0: Okay, keep going. I just want to make sure they Yeah, no, no, no. Very, very good to add. Yeah, it, there's a reason. And it's important that it, it's her eye as well because what she needs to take control is a secret. She needs to see the secret to be able to take control. And with Mio, it's his voice, his throat, literally. So he must sing to use the magic or speak. Um, and so she spent you know, his young life, training him to do this. And he's always been told that they're doing it to the people who have hurt them. They're doing it for the greater good. They're doing it so that mages and and sorcerers can be, you know, a part of the government, can be equal citizens. But things come to a bit of a breaking point for Mio. He starts to doubt that what he's doing is the right thing because he's young you know he's in his 20s and he's been doing this he's been learning to do this his entire life and even when he was young and still training he realized that the things that he was prying out of people's minds it wasn't right it wasn't right to take that from him and in in multiple scenarios in multiple cases he refers to it as raping their minds because he is taking what they do not wish to give which i thought was a really powerful way to put it because up until you say it like that, you don't, you can kind of scrub over it with magic and just say, it's magic, you know? But when I, when I read that line, like how Neo was thinking of it, I was like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's taking what does not wish to be given, you know? And I I think that's part of what makes this book so good is that it gives you magic, but it doesn't gloss over things with magic. I I don't know if you got the same feeling, Roxy.
1: Oh, no, I agree completely. It um So, in the mental health field, we have so many ethics codes, so many, because you have to go about navigating someone's mind in a very respectful and healthy way. You do not want to cause any damage to your client whatsoever. So like him doing this and feeling basically dirty for doing this I really resonated with I was like you can't you can't just pull secrets out of people you have to respect them you can't you can't just navigate someone's heart in such an intrusive and aggressive way Um, so I very much enjoyed especially like with some I feel like with some fantasy worlds and novels like They do gloss over the repercussions of things. They do gloss over the actual, you know, mechanics or the aftermath, especially of something that can be invasive. And in this one, he sits with the people. And not only is he able to pluck out that pearl, pluck out that secret, he feels their emotions as he's doing it, Um, which really starts to fuck him up because he's just like, they don't. Even if they're bad people, they don't want this. I, I am singing because because what he does is he sings a song, and it's it kind of reminded me of um that book we read with the kraken of how the magic described there
2: was yeah, like yeah.
1: threads and it was very colorfully and beautifully described and I thought that was really cool. It was very much like that as well. Magic described in this series. One of my absolute favorites I think I've ever read in a book. It was so beautifully written, even if it was absolutely horrifying and terrifying. And I will argue that. So with my cat's guide to online dating, we. Yeah, we start with a dead body, but things ramp up as the book goes on. With this book, I would almost argue that shit hits the fan super quick. And then they explain and unfold later. This book does horror and magic so shockingly well. I was just and it's so beautifully written. It's very atmospheric, it's very dense. It's like um it's like some books are cake and some are brownies that are fudgy and thick and this was a
0: thick-ass brownie, y'all. Holy shit. Um oh. it was incredibly thick. Like I I uh, I would have to like read a chapter get up walk around and do something yeah or, or like yeah, it i had sticks to like with you i had to roll it around in my brain like a Blorbo, you know just like rotate it and, and and understand it for our listeners what's a blurbo? Uh, A blurbo is your favorite little guy uh your 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 character that you just love that you just you, you think Absolutely. about it a lot so like my Blorbo is bucky barnes um I just I just think about that little guy a lot, you know, and I just like to rotate him in my mind. Like a
1: comfort and, character,
0: yeah, a comfort character, yeah, yes. uh, one that you go to. Um, you think about him a lot, just when you're not doing anything else, when your brain's you zone out because you have ADD, you're just thinking about your Blorbo in various situations, and so you know, I I just had to keep taking like chapters of this book and just rotating them in my mind. It's like and you need a little sip them. of milk. yeah yeah water milk or coffee you know yeah like a palate cleanser yeah Yeah. because it was it was so good but it was so holy shit and 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 it yeah like things come at you fast like it it in, in all these ways that it is a very florally written book like it's prose heavy at the same time every chapter something major is happening like you're not really like you're never really lulled into a false sense of security because it's always like, oh, shit, now this happened. Oh, shit, now this happened. They're like, coming from every which way. <laughs> I gave
1: up writing down quotes because it was all so beautiful. Um, yeah. Like, there's a line that says, the next few days passed like a soft rain. There, There's another line where um, the character talks about how I was tired of explaining how I worked. Like, things, things like this... Just or or there's a whole monologue about how everyone gets to have one thing that they are good at. And this was mine and it was being used for something, you know, uh, it, it's a whole monologue. So I can't quite quote it,
2: but just. Yeah, I actually have that. Hold on. Yeah. I was I, I love that monologue. Um, um, And I I do want to hop in here. So yeah. as you guys can probably tell by me not having like a ton to say. I did not get that far in this book. Life happened to me and is continuing to happen to me. However, this is one that I very much want to read um in my own time. I I think we're gonna come back around to this, but it's very much a book that like I think the other ma'ams are gonna are gonna hard agree with this. It's it's something that you might need to deal with in your own time. But it's worth it. And I want to to take my time with that journey. So I'm being a bad man, but I'm being kind to myself.
0: Being kind to yourself is never being a bad man.
2: Well, and also this is the first one
1: that we have decided collectively to not spoil for our readers. We're only going to go so far in our descriptions because we genuinely want you to read this. And I will give you a heads up. Like Corinne said, I sobbed. After reading this, it was so beautifully done. Um,
0: I, I feel that we cannot fully explain this book to you yeah, a full rundown yeah. and really give you the scope of how beautiful it is and how how emotional it is. It really is. And that's why we're not going to spoil it because we want you to go and read this one. May Peterson deserves all the kudos in the world. She did a fantastic job with something where... I read a few reviews of this book when I was deciding to to pick it for the mams, and there was people going on and on about how wonderful it was. And then there'd be certain people who would be like, I feel like things aren't explained well. And like, it's not bad, but I'm confused. And I was, as I was reading, I understood because a lot of the way this book goes about things is things will happen. And then they'll be explained later. Like things happen. They are accepted as the norm. And then later you get the explanation because you're kind of, like, swept up in the moment. Even the book seems to be swept up in itself, which is an interesting... It's an interesting narrative frame, like, the fact that it'll be like, this thing, you don't know what this thing is. We'll tell you later. <laughs> and then, like, you know, a chapter later, you're like, oh! <laughs> um,
2: um, but... Yeah, oh, go ahead. Oh, it's just... It's, it's a very... I will warn, it's very prose-heavy. Um, yes. So be ready to, you know middle you know, high school fucking English four. How did that make you feel? I don't I don't even know what it said. You're gonna have moments of that. That's just gonna happen. You're gonna roll it around your brain like a boom. Mm-hmm. There's there is a book this reminds me of, and I
1: can't go into why it reminds me of it too much. Um it's called Rebecca and it is current. Uh <laughs> it is a classic work of literature that I had to read in high school. And Andy, like, it's very much like one of those reads where there's so much symbolism and there's so much more that gets uncovered later. Um, And in Rebecca, I remember reading it on my own later and just absolutely loving how atmospheric it was, how, like, much of a mystery it was, and how, like, there is a play at the, like, supernatural. Uh, It's just, it's beautifully crafted, but... You're you're gonna need some time and a dictionary. You're gonna you're gonna need to sit down, think about it a
0: lot. Get that milk for the brownie, you know. (laughs) Um. All right. So I, I had it, and then I and then I accidentally went to the spot, and I didn't mean to. All right. Here's the here's the quote about the one thing. My theory was that everyone got to have one thing. The one jewel of your life you could place all pride into without it being a sin. If you loved it and honored it with all you had, there was even something humble about that kind of pride. I would never have love with my strange and mythical body, and I could never have children, nor would I ever likely hold power worth acknowledging. But I could sing, and it would light up all the other corners of my life. Just as I trusted Tabario, I knew that I would still love music if the entire outside world was changed, with no coercion or reward. My song belonged to me.
1: And like, that's just one little snippet in this book that stuck with me. That monologue just, if you could even call it that, you know, that little paragraph just really resonated with me, you know? Um.
0: Well, and this book does play a lot with um, uh, themes of religion in the sense that this is, as I said, based on like an Italian mythos versus like an English one, for instance. So there is like, a sprinkling of
2: Catholicism here and there. We we get uh, there's a lot of other magic at play. Well, and I noticed that they were they would be like, oh my god, like they would say God. Cause yeah, it, it was just, it's a very Catholic story, kind of in that way. And yeah, I'm fascinated by that in my fantasy. Yeah, and it yeah, like it it has Catholicism kind of weaved
0: throughout it in this very interesting way, and especially in the way Mio thinks about sin and the way other characters think about sin. Um, it becomes a bit of a, well, I won't say yet, but there's, there's this idea that, um, the sins of your life can weigh you down in death, which is very Catholic. Um, and it's part of the reason why there is ghosts in the story. And part of the reason why much of the story happens is because of the sins of your life affecting you in death or the sins of your life taking away your will, um, because most people's secrets are their sins. Um, and it's, it, there's a bit of a breaking point with Mio that really, it, it's what drives him to give Rodri the letter that, um, is talked about in the summary, oh. the stop me.
1: Um, so, so what happens? Go ahead. So what happens? Um, Corinne's given you this amazing backstory of how he's basically been molded as a weapon by his mother. So we fast forward. He's not a little kid anymore. He's like in his early 20s. And they have a target. Uh, Mio is is uh, masquerading as a waiter. And it's very confusing at first because you get a lot of internal dialogue about not dropping the glasses and walking around. And then I was like, this is the realest thing ever. It reminded <laughs> yeah. me of the first day I ever worked in food service. Like, uh, because I worked in catering and you would be serving people and pouring drinks and all this stuff. And it's very nerve wracking. So it's so funny that it's an undercover mission, but he's, you know, worried about the glasses. But anyway.
0: Well, and he practiced so hard to learn how to hold the tray. He was so proud of himself for learning how to hold the tray. And his brother, Tabario, was like, did not give a single shit. He was like, you don't have to be good at it. Just pretend. Just don't get caught. They're at
1: this party. They're undercover Um, and Mio bumps into someone and because Mio has a very uh, kind of an androgynous look about him. Very feminine look, very soft. um, This gross guy just starts, you know, being like, hey, lady, you want to come over here? Because he accidentally bumps into this guy.
2: He's like, you want some fuck, and it's like, no, wash yeah, your ass. I'm working. and, yeah. and
0: I... don't hit on your waiters and waitresses, folks.
1: So, not to go too much into a rant, um, but if you ever are in a position where you are in a uh, setting where someone is working and they are in a service industry or they are in an in an environment where they cannot leave and they are stuck with you. Do not flirt with them. Do not. Um, because there is a power dynamic there that, of course, they're going to smile because they're nervous. Of course, they're going to, you know, be, be extra nice because they're stuck there with you. Um, you need to recognize how your own power dynamics may affect a interaction. And just because someone doesn't outright tell you to leave does not mean that they care for your company. So
0: that aside. <laughs> and I will say, you know, if if you see a cute bartender, waitress, someone in at their job, and you just feel compelled to, to get their number or whatever, you know what you can do? You can just be like, this is my number. I'm leaving. Yes. If you want to yes. talk. Call me. There you go. You've given them the way to contact you, and you know you can even write something cute on the little note you give them. But like, you put the you let them breach that put the, put boundary. the power in their hand. Yeah. yeah, because you know, yeah, sometimes there are meet-cutes at like places of business. But yeah, don't don't push them because they are doing freak their job. About it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just give them your number and be like, Yo, if you want to talk or go on a date or whatever that's my number. I'm going to go. Have so this, a great day.
1: <laughs> so this interaction happens and you, you feel so bad for me. Oh, you know, because you know, they're stuck there because it's a, they're in an undercover mission. You don't quite know what's happening though. Like Corinne said, you're explained later and all of a sudden, and I I was kind of snarky in my notes. So I was like, Oh, Batman. Cause from the shadow <laughs> This big guy, uh, broad shoulders, wearing all black, comes out and he's like, leave the waiter alone. Basically, she's uh, basically the no pickles scenario, you know, like they said no pickles. Um,
0: and, and he's like smoking a cigarillo and like, just like
2: he's being just being an a- absolute badass.
0: Yeah. Stepping out of the darkness, smoking, (laughs) being like, leave the server alone or, you know, whatever exactly he may say. He he basically gives the, they're just doing their job. Go be an asshole somewhere else or I'll take you somewhere else. Yeah.
1: After the guy leaves, you get this internal monologue of Mio saying, oh my God, now is my chance. Because Mio realizes that this guy... Is something called a moon soul, which I fucking love. That's so cool. It's like it's like a werewolf and a vampire combined, and you'll you'll understand more later. Mm-hmm. Corinne's showing off her little paws right now for the episode. Put those down. Put those
2: put those weapons away. Those aren't free. <laughs> you and- gotta pay for the feet. <laughs>
0: That's only the patrons. Only tobeans. <laughs> God damn it. Only tobeans. <laughs> tobeans only. God damn it. So uh,
1: he realizes this is a moon soul, which is basically someone who has died and been taken pity on in the afterlife by a primal spirit, like an animal spirit, um, and brought back. So it's it's very much a combination of like the werewolf. Mythos and the vampire one. And Mio thinks to himself, This person can save me. And writes down a note in wine because that's all he has. He has glasses, hands it to him, and walks away. And you, as a reader, you're just like, What the fuck is going on? This kid was eating oysters and pearls. Now this is
0: happening. What? Yeah, you're, you're very much like, you're, you're so confused in such an intriguing way. But like, I definitely understand the reviews that are like, uh, lots of things happen, and they aren't explained until later. And I'm like, yes, that is true. That is how this narrative goes. (laughs) You have the thing. And the thing is like there and then you go two chapters forward and you're like, oh, you that's the thing. You can't just eat the frosting of the cake and complain it's too sweet for you. You got to eat it. Balance. <laughs> but it, until anyway. you get
2: there, it's very much nanny the fuck.
0: Yeah, yeah. You spend a lot of time like trying to work it out in your head, rotating it, being like, "What is happening?" If you're somebody who loves mysteries and like figuring out a story as you go along, you're gonna love this because the entire book is written in such a mysterious way. You get all your answers by the end, but like, essentially, every chapter is a new little mystery of like, "Excuse me, the fuck?"
1: (laughs) It's it's very beautifully done, but um, so Mio walks away and then we see him in a room which is the real reason they've come here for a meeting that his mom is having with one of the folks who is about to be elected on the council um i believe his name is like starts with
2: a d it's donatello
0: yeah he is uh, essentially father donatello okay okay he is he is a priest um who is uh, getting into essentially, like, political office, you know, like a a, a religious position of power. Yes. Um, and so Serafina, Mio's mother, sees this as a good chance to get, um, get that place of power on her side, specifically because the church can be a driving force against magic. And what um, this priest says is, The church feels no qualms against mages or witches, so long as they do not stray into sorcery. After all, magic which manipulates the wills of others must be anathema to any sane being.
1: So, she's having this meeting with him. And then the quote-unquote waiter comes in, which is actually Mio. And she asks Mio to sing for him. And at first it sounds very almost whimsical like you know just this meeting and then you know oh this is actually my child and they're a great singer i would love for you to hear them and then as mio sings realization dawns on donatello and also (coughs) excuse me folks i'm sick um so resisting the urge to just go it's a trap (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, before, it, it was a trap <laughs> before
1: Mio starts singing Donatello's like you know I don't think you hold any positions of power on the council I don't think I've seen you there and she smiles at him and says actually I hold five and realization dawns over him it's too late because Mio has begun singing and as Mio sings Mio delves in to Donatello's mind. And, and he can feel the fear. He can feel the, the just intense, no, I do not want this swelling up in this religious man. But Mio continues singing and thinks to himself, please, oh, please let him be one of the bad ones. Because some of these individuals have very dark secrets. Um... Stuff like murder or rape or even pedophilia. However, ultimately, Donatello's pearl, Donatello's secret, is that he loved another man in his youth. It is discovered, it is found out, and he gives the secret to his mother, who then can control him. And she now has a sixth seat on the council.
0: And this is the one that really breaks Mio because he was a good man. He was a good man who didn't even mean any harm to people like Mio and his mother. The only wrong thing he did was fall in love with a man. And he felt that need to be kept a secret because he was a man of God. He hid that love from God. And his secret was just his own fear of loving somebody else. And, That is such a mood in this book of the fear of loving somebody else and that somebody like that love not being accepted. Um, It comes up more than once. I'll tell you that. (laughs) Um, And so one thing that we haven't specifically said uh, about Mio yet is that um, earlier in the quote, it was mentioned that Mio had a strange mystical body. The thing about Mio, and it's not specifically stated as such because magic and fantasy, but um, Mio is, calls himself a natural castrato. And what I take that to mean is that Mio is most likely intersex uh, in that um, he does not have uh, external testes, uh, thus being a natural castrato. Because castration was outlawed in their country, uh, bef- I think after the war or before it, I can't remember exactly. So. The fact that he is a castrato without ever having been castrated means that he is a well known opera singer in the area um, because he can hit those notes that nobody else is hitting. However, his strange mystical body is what makes him feel very put out. He feels very different because he always feels like he has to play up manliness to be seen as a man, uh, to fit in to spaces with men. But he doesn't really feel like a man. He maybe feels like a boy or like something in between. Just a little he guy. F- just a little guy. Yeah, he's just a little guy. He he doesn't feel really at home anywhere. And the one place he did feel at home was with his family.
1: Well, and that's where that's where you get the line of just I was ex- I was tired of explaining the way I worked. Um. And as someone who, uh, for those of you who don't know, my wife is trans uh, is transgender. Um, she is trans feminine, and I was talking to her while I was reading this book about how like certain gender themes popped up, and how like certain um just I am comfortable in my body and it makes sense to me. It doesn't need to make sense to you. It was just it was so beautifully written, um and it wasn't like overly forced it was just like a natural part of the story like this is who mio is um and it's just it's just a really cool thing to see in this kind of novel i really thoroughly enjoyed the themes explored in this um and and it's done so well that like i i looked a bit more into the author who is herself trans feminine? And I was like, well, there you fucking go. There he
2: is. God damn it. There
0: you and, go. And, and, and to be transparent. Oh, I God found damn
2: this, it. I'm I the found... transparent.
0: <laughs> you are. You're so you trans.
2: transparent. You are transparent.
0: That's amazing. We should get you a shirt that says I'm transparent. I'm, tra- I'm a transparent. <laughs> i just meant to be clear um but <laughs> andy's being transparent over I, there i'm just being clear i
2: do technically have a shirt that my son got me that says mama bear and it's in trans colors
0: oh i love that <laughs> um when i found this book i was looking for own voice authors like own voice queer authors and that's how i stumbled upon may peterson um because uh this the series that this book is in was recommended as a really great one because it was by a, a trans feminine author, Um, and I was like, I'm immediately including this in the man's list. You know, like I read some reviews, made sure that like people liked it and felt it was well written, and I was like, you're in, May, getting lied. <laughs> yeah, through the Britney treatment, get ready. Yeah. Britney
1: didn't make <laughs> me cry like you did, May. May, I was sobbing, woman.
2: <laughs> I feel like she's going to be so happy to hear that.
0: <laughs> yeah, you you made Roxy cry. I didn't cry, but I was in my feelings a lot with this book. Um, I think if I had read this book uh, a little bit closer to Thanksgiving, I would have cried. But I read it pre-Thanksgiving. Um, for for the podcast knowledge, um, I recently had a, a longtime pet pass away, and it was just before Thanksgiving, and. There's a lot of grief for that because I've had her since I was 17 and she was my old lady baby. She was my girlfriend. Um, but, uh, it, it's made, it was one of the reasons why, uh, the mams are a bit
2: pressed for recordings uh, this month. Uh, <laughs> we've had a lot going on personally. We we have all had a lot going on. It's, it, uh, Corinne is trying to take the heat for it, but it, we, We've all had shit going on. I've
1: had bronchitis for a month. I usually don't talk this low. Don't get used to it.
2: It's hot.
0: God damn it. <laughs> it is hot.
2: My camera won't focus on my face right now. Um, You know, I'm not going to get in the weeds, but, like, my dad is actually currently in Cleveland, Ohio, after having his second heart bypass. And because of work, I couldn't be there. So I'm, like, you know, nails digging into the desk, like... How's he doing constantly? So, you know, there's a a lot of reasons. But we love you guys. So please don't think we don't love doing this and don't love.
0: Yeah, we we do. That's why we're here.
2: I (laughs) tolerate you all. (laughs) That's that's Roxy for I would die for you.
0: Don't Fucking me. She's really tsundere. So anyway, so (laughs) this happens in this scene. Um.
1: And we finally realized, you know, why Mia was like, maybe someone can finally stop me. Um, Because this person who is a moon soul uh, has power. Of course, they don't stop him in time. They feel awful about it. It's a whole thing. And then, of course, the mother is so proud, so proud of her darling child and there are some amazing themes in this book of um being a child of abuse and not realizing it
2: oftentimes yeah,
1: so much. oftentimes with my clients they downplay what they went through because they don't think of it as severe like it wasn't overtly physical or it wasn't overtly sexual and they fail to realize that neglect is a form of abuse and
2: Andy, don't make that face. I'm sorry, No, I'm just, I'm realizing that maybe it was a good thing that I didn't finish this book because that is something I've personally been processing. Yeah, it's a heavy
1: theme in this book. Him coming to terms with the fact that just because someone physically provided for you, just because they were physically there, does not mean that your needs were truly being met.
0: Well, and Um, also that somebody saying they love you and even thinking they love you like a parent saying Mm -hmm. I love you and even acting the the affection doesn't mean they have really have your best interest at heart and aren't this is using you
1: the mother in this in this uh book I almost said movie because it almost feels like a movie it's very atmospheric um the mother Serafina kind of reminds me of mother Gothel in Rapunzel
0: yes she, big Mother Gothel vibes
1: yeah Mother Gothel um is an example a lot of therapists use when it comes to narcissistic abuse like viewing the child as an extension of oneself um and there are a lot of movies we geek out over like if you talk about inside out with a therapist we'll talk your ear off about how it's helped us in like children's therapy especially because we'll be like what am I What emotions at your dashboard today? And it's great for communicating with them. Um, But she is an amazing example of an abusive parent where it's not like, you know, extreme, a child called it scenarios. It's more of a uh, insidious, harder to detect form of abuse. And what Mio goes through is his mother is so proud of him. When he is this perfect honed weapon for her. And he likens himself to being turned into a knife. Pretty frequently in the book. Um, and she tells him. Now that you have gotten this information for me. You are ready.
0: Dun dun dun.
1: And we get to. This beautifully crafted scene.
0: Oh this scene is gorgeous.
1: Mm-hmm. Of. So Mio, in, you know, when he's not doing his mother's bidding, is a singer. Uh, he is an opera singer. Pretty, pretty well known in the area, even. Because, like Corinne said, he is one of the last few people who can sing that way. Because he was not castrated. Um, he was just born this way, you know. Um, and one of the few folks who can sing this way due to it. And at this performance, he is about to sing... One of the highest uh, clergy members, one of the highest, you know, political members who hates them, who actively participated in the mage uh, trafficking trade is going to be there. And she wants him to get his pearl. She wants him to get his secret and give it to her during the performance
0: and holy shit, this scene. This scene is so well-written. You are, like, on the edge of your seat because it is this beautiful explanation of the way that Mio's magic works. And, like, you, you've you seen it in other scenes, like with the priest. But there's just something about... I think because it's this operatic performance where you... Um, it's... Mio is on stage singing. And at first he is singing to the crowd. And even as he sings to the crowd, he feels the emotions of the crowd. He talks about how singing like this, using his magic, it's like taking a journey himself. He is taking this journey and he thinks about it like a story when he was a child, his favorite story. And He uses the ups and downs in that story to kind of weave this secret out of the the target. However, as he's doing this, he's still thinking about that priest. He's thinking about how wrong what he's doing is. Even if this is a terrible person, what he did to that priest and what he's done to every other person was a rape of their mind he has taken what was not wished to be given and he felt their fear and even if this man is terrible if he is doing similar to things to what this man has done he is no better and as he tries to get the secret from this man it seems like he's just digging and digging and digging and not finding anything and he suddenly realizes it's because he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to know the secret that this man has because it is probably something terrible. What kind of secret would a man like this have when he's already so terrible? And so he refuses. He stops. He stops his own magic. And in doing so, he just kind of stops in the middle of the stage The singing's gone. The opera's still performing. The orchestra's still going. And he's just standing there alone, not singing. And and people start asking, you know, is he okay? What's going on? Is he okay? And then his mother, sensing what's going on, takes over his body. Because she already knows enough secrets about Mio. She knows what he's done. And she tries to force him to sing. But all that comes out is like strangled screeching because she may control his body, but she can't control his magic. And in that moment, he decides that he won't give her his magic. She, he's given her everything. He's, she, he's given her his life. He's given her his sense of purpose. He's given her his sense of being a good person because it's gone now, she's taken it, but he's not gonna give her his magic. And so he stops. He stops altogether and stifles his own magic. He goes silent. Not even she can make him sing because his voice is gone. And then he fucking runs. <laughs> Holy shit.
2: I didn't get to this scene.
0: Yeah, that was the one scene I was like, you have to read this. Oh, it was one of the
2: first ones I was like, you need to read this. I didn't get to that part. Holy shit. Yeah. And yeah. It's,
1: it's really beautifully done, the escape, because he goes out into the night. And he's all alone. Except the moon soul has remembered that he was asking for help. And the moon soul uh, recognizes Mio's face because he's a singer. And so he's like, okay, I'll go to the opera. I'll check it out, see what happens. And then he's just like, holy shit, what the fuck? Um, and we learn he is a bear shifter. Each of these moon souls has a animal spirit that has basically taken pity on them, brought them back to life, and he transforms into this huge fucking bear and tears through all these guards who are running after Mio that his mother is controlling. And yeah, his can mother's tell, controlling an
0: army of yeah, puppets.
1: You can tell, because like we said earlier, in this book, magic manifests in a physical part of your body, which is something I've never heard of before and I really love. Um, and hers is her eye, and it glints red. You can tell people are controlled by her because one of their eyes will be red. And so all these bodyguards are chasing after him, and they're being puppeted by her. And this bear just tears into them. And even the brother tries to stop and be like, What the fuck's going on? Don't take my brother away. Nope. They 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 help Mio escape,
0: and uh, And shit's wild. The shapeshifters' ghost footman and chauffeur. Oh yeah, the ghosts with his carriage (laughs) to rescue them.
1: There's ghosts in here, folks. It's fucking wild.
2: (laughs) Yeah, this story is fucking cuckoo for cocoa puffs. I love it. (laughs)
1: Oh, it's very much a a magical world that has suffered a great war. And so it it makes sense that there would be ghosts because it's like, well, yeah, war is really traumatic. And ghosts are thought to be folks who haven't moved on. And if there's magic, wait, okay, I guess it does make sense. But it's so crazy how just accepted it is in the world. Like, no one's like, oh, a ghost, I've never seen one of those. It's like, yeah, of course there
0: are ghosts, (laughs) Shithead, There was
1: a great (laughs) war. They're
0: fucking everywhere. Yeah, like, that's one thing that's mentioned later is that in their city and in their country, there's just kind of ghosts fucking everywhere. Like, you can't go, like, you can't, like, throw a rock without hitting somewhere haunted because, like, war is devastating and there's so many people with unfinished business that they're tethered here.
2: You think they would have learned not to fuck everywhere, though? <laughs> I'm about to get physically voted off the island by Roxy's fist. You would like that. I would never. Yeah, I would. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No so,
1: this is where we get to the, um, I like to call it uh, Daddy and the Twink portion of the book. <laughs> um, because Mio is taken to this manor. Uh, with areas that are forbidden. You can't go in the West Wing, Belle. Uh, <laughs> Except this one is, you can't go in the basement. You can't go there. Um, And this is where the really atmospheric, moody, haunted shit starts happening. And it's wild. I don't want to spoil it, but holy shit.
0: Yeah, like, it is, this, this manner is described in such, like, wonderful detail. And because Mia was experiencing it all for the first time and it's 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 so interesting because there's little things that are so strange like that there seems to be instead of dust on things there's frost which goes unexplained for a long time or at least for a little while and like it looks like this gorgeous, you know, well-kept mansion but the drapes are always closed. And he walks into areas and just sees this excessive wealth. And Mio is from, like, Mio's mother gave them a comfortable life through crime. But in his childhood during the war, you know, they were essentially homeless. The homes were burned and, like, they were living on the streets. And so coming into a place of such kind of, like, easy opulence where everything was beautiful and well-kept and everything was neat and in its place. Um, and where he knew that this money wasn't probably wasn't coming from crime. It was definitely something where he was kind of cataloging all the details and being like, what have I gotten myself into? I mean, like, I'm glad I'm here. It's better than the alternative of being on the street or being dead or being chased by my mother. But who, who is this man whose house I'm in now? And Rodri isn't exactly an open book. Uh, Mio does eventually learn his name, which is great, because <laughs> um, for a long time he doesn't know his name. Um, but he also learns that there's uh, some ghosts living in residence at the manor. There are two specifically. We have Rosemary, um, who is kind of like the kind of like the maid or like a helper, um, and then we have
2: uh oh, what's his name? Um, starts with a C. Yeah, starts with a C. It's like uh, Shilo or something. Uh uh I
0: can find it. He he's talked about all the time and now I can't remember his name. His name is. Ah, uh, I think it's Cecilio. Ah,
2: uh, okay. Yep,
0: that's it. That's it. Yeah, because if there was two C's, then you get a ch sound. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with one C it's a S sound. Gotcha. So Cecilio. Um so yeah, uh, Cecilio is uh, his like his footman, his driver, his chauffeur, um, and Rosemary was uh, seems to be like a kind of like a help around the house. Um, and so these two ghosts are just they just live in the house with Rodri, and Rodri lives alone with them, and you know doesn't seem to go out and do much. However, he does you know attend some political functions because as we learn, uh, Rodri is a um, diplomat. Um, from his home country so he is not from this country and he is a uh also a lover of the opera um, which does come up later but on the whole he spends a lot of time in his house with these ghosts and that's about all he does which seems kind of weird to Mio but Mio's not gonna look a gift horse in the mouth he's like all right this guy's gonna protect me I need to figure out what's going on with my magic. I've lost my voice and it maybe it's better that way. Maybe I could just live. But singing is my life, so I don't want to be gone forever.
1: And there, there are lots of uh, hurt comfort moments in this yes. arc. Um, and there are a lot of moments that really led me to believe even further that Mio is very much an abused kid. Um, there are lines like... Uh, He finally gets a hug from Rodri and and he like starts crying Um, like a lot of not to get too dark, but something you can tell is um, not by what has happened to a child, but what hasn't happened to a child is sometimes ways you can pick up on abuse. Um, If especially if you have a family who is not very physically loving Um, I remember the first time my wife gave me a huge hug. I I actually cried a little. And that was because my family personally, uh, is not very touchy feely. So if you, if you find yourself as like a touch starved adult, uh, you may have experienced neglect or you may have just, you know, had other situations going on. Uh, and this happens. And then there's another scene that says, uh, in open spaces, I slip out of my senses like he finds comfort at the room. He gets being small um, versus a very big open space because it reminds him of the opera it's triggering and he slips out of his senses, a.k.a. fantasy world for dissociates. Um, or if something is the color red, it makes him uncomfortable. His mother's magic being the color red. There's so much unraveled. If you're a hurt comfort girly, um, yeah. You're going to so fucking love this uh, book.
0: You're going to love well, it so much. And in the beginning, Mio's really trying to make himself useful because he thinks that's the only way he, he can stay. Like, yep. he, he wants to be, like, he'll, he'll, like, act as, like, a servant and, like, help clean the house and help Rosemary. And Roger's like, you really don't you have to. You can just to, exist. Yeah. You can just be here, but if that makes you feel better, I guess, go not, for it. You do
1: not have to be of service to be worthy.
0: yeah. Know? And, like, Raji tries to convey that, but, like, it's not... Mio's not open to that in the beginning. Andy! Uh, Andy, I'm
2: fine. (laughs) I'm perfectly healthy. Don't look at me. Are you okay? I think Andy's feeling
0: too seen by this book. She nodded. I can't
1: laugh this hard. I'm
0: sick. Uh. I'm sorry. Uh, but yeah, so like Mio is very much kind of learning what it is to live a life where he is not used. Because his mother, all she really did was use him. And as much as some of that could have been love, like I do believe that his mother did love him. Uh but,
1: oh yeah they have their own form of love they understand
0: yeah. it to be love yeah and for her
1: it is love useful.
0: yeah but it is he he's never experienced a love where he doesn't need to be useful or even a friendship or you know like cuz even his brother Tabario who he is very close with he and Tabario were both tools for his mother and Tabario very much carried that over like he wanted what was best for his brother but at the same time he was always going to defer to mother um because that was what he knew, and so a lot of the middle of this book is Mio learning to live his own life, even if it's a life cooped up in a manor uh, with a bunch of ghosts and a weird moon soul guy. You know, it's him learning that he doesn't need to be of service. Um, and one of the things that really struck me in this section is, um. Rodri wants to help Mio communicate because he knows that if Mio can't talk and they're going to spend any time together, like, he needs a better way to communicate than just writing. It's it's slow. It's clumsy. It's not, like, it's not effective if he needs to relay anything quickly. And so Rodri finds a book in his massive fucking Beauty and the Beast library, um, about, um, Sign language essentially. Like they call it something different. Um uh let me see what it was called. It is called do do do, do, do. Hand hey speak. Um so here, um a little excerpt about handspeak. It was called handspeak, but involved much more than hands, face, body, motion. The language was rich and playful on its own, but Rodri's fingers and expressions gave it life. Warmth, the glow in his eyes, lighting his meaning. I was surprised at how natural handspeak was. Rodri had more trouble. Frequently, he threw up his hands in the midst of one of my replies, laughing and shaking his head. Lemon drop, you win. Can we start again? I would start as many times as he liked. Maybe we'd never be able to talk fully, but I didn't care. Being near him was a joy beyond any verse or song. I wasn't only there to talk. I wanted his strange mix of self-depreciating humor and debonair smiles, his rough charm and the air of tenderness, the way his eyes glowed as he watched me sign. He had taken me by the hand, and moment by indigo-tinged moment was leading me back to my voice, back to my life.
1: This book is so beautiful. It's so... And, like, indigo-tinged is very, very important in this book because his room that they make for him isn't Rodri's favorite color of hunter green. It's not his mother's color of scarlet. It's the color of indigo that he loves. So when he says indigo-tinged moments, they're moments he loves. Um, And there are other things like... uh. Like Mio starts really falling for Rodri and the feelings mutual. Rodri, we we hear both perspectives. Um, but Mio says that Rodri is the sundial of my new world. Day and night did not matter. Only times with him and times without. And like, what the fuck, me? What <laughs> the fuck? God damn. Like, that's just so beautiful. And it's just one of the best heard comfort arcs I've ever
0: read in a book and it's got ghosts and shit in it what and so one thing we haven't mentioned is that while Rodri is definitely very much falling for Bio and has had a crush since the beginning like we it's obvious um he's got some problems um they're both coming into this with a lot of baggage and Rodri's baggage is the fact that the ghost of his ex-wife, which is only ex because she's dead, haunts the manor. Her name is Eilis, and um, she kills people who are on the property.
1: <laughs> Y'all, there is a reason this is the first book we're covering and not uh, and not spoiling. Yeah. You need to read. You need to read this because whatever you predict, you're wrong. Bad, you're, you're wrong. wrong. Yeah, wrong. you're so
0: wrong. Oh, this book had so many twists, and like they were not—they weren't out of nowhere twists. Like when you looked back, it made at sense. The, yes. Yeah, when you look back at the information you had, you're like, "Shit, that made sense." But it, I was red herringed. I was red herringed twice. Uh, maybe I'm not a third even mad time about it. <laughs> she did a good job. <laughs> she did a great job. Cammy. Uh, and you hearing us is... so much, we're like a whole
1: tin can of fish right now. God, God damn it.
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> and it is, it's just, Rodri has this kind of like overwhelming sense that his wife, Islas, is here at all times because she kind of is. Um, And one of the things you do learn is that, um kind of the only spoiler I'm going to give here really is that Rodri blames his death or blames her death on himself because he had an affair and that affair was with a man and it is believed by everybody Um, and you know it, it seems to be the case that she had committed suicide after discovering this and so he blames his her death on him and his transgression and he believes that's why. The curse of the manor started was his transgression, and that's kind of where we get back into the the Catholic undertones because there is a curse upon the house. The curse is the curse of both Islas, who is haunting the house, haunting the premises, and killing trespassers, and there is also um, a uh, an, an incubus that is there to try and possess the bodies of the recently dead and roger believes the incubus is his curse because of what he did what of his because of his affair um that he was uh cursed because what he did was wrong and that his guilt has chained this incubus to him essentially created it and that his wife, Eilis, uh, is chained to this world because of her grief and her anger at him for what he did. And so she kills people who trespass on their land because she cannot kill him because he is a moon soul and it's really hard to kill him. <laughs> and so she's just killing people. And so all of that is happening as an undertone to this blossoming hurt comfort romance. It's like, yeah, we could all die at any time. Well, mainly just you, Mio, because uh, those two are dead and I can't die. (laughs) And I've,
1: I've got to say that like, this book isn't smut heavy. It very much reminds me of the pirate book we did where it's like lots of buildup, but like the first kiss is beautiful. The intimacy scenes are beautiful. Um, not a lot of it, but ooh,
0: what's there is very good. When you get it, it's good. Uh, here, I do have um, an excerpt. Let me see. Whoops.
2: I'm still not great at using a Kindle, because I'm an old man, so... It's all right, buddy. We love you anyway. Mm-hmm, thank it's you. okay, people! <laughs> you know, I've actually kind of been lo- eyeing Kindles and trying to decide if it's worth it. I love my Kindle,
1: um... It's just been so useful, not a sponsor, because uh, it's lightweight. And even though I love hard book, hardcover books, it's just I'm getting old. I can't hold five hundred page books no more.
0: <laughs> All right, so I do have the first kiss here. If you
1: would
2: like it. Oh hell yeah, Andy needs to hear this. I did. <laughs> I did read the first kiss. I didn't read any of the smut. Okay. Okay. But I did. But I do want to hear it in Corinne's dulcet tones.
0: We gazed into each other's eyes for a few moments. He had to feel me shaking now. His breath tickled my ear, emphasized my flushed skin. He smelled like every inexpressible thing I had imagined a man like him to smell of. The cold and dust and dark wood of his house, to sweet smoke and long untouched skin. I acted without thought, leaned into his embrace, tilted up to the downturn of his mouth, heard his breath catch and kissed him. The world narrowed to the sensation of his lips, the way his hand bunched at the back of my neck, the passing of breath into my mouth. His lips parted as if to devour me, claiming my first kiss. His arms tightened, my shaking blended with his, strings attuning to each other. How big his hands were! I fell into the invitation, letting his tongue penetrate me. In an instant, he was everywhere. The caress of the evening air was him, sweeping down my back. My will fell apart, collapsing so that he could hold it, wind it around his own. We were panting against each other, his tongue ravaging me. Tears of need, happiness, fear stung my eyes. The heat of his fingers prickled the back. The heat of his fingers prickled the small of my back. Mio. My name on his voice was sharp as a burn. His kisses worked down my neck. Somehow my top few buttons had come loose, and he peeled back the collar of my shirt. There was a hungry, surprised sigh. I didn't fight it. Didn't fight the gas pulled from me as his lips closed over my shoulder. I could only cinch my arms around his back and hold on. My lord, I am yours if you'll take me. (laughs) Goddamn. Goddamn. And that's their first kiss, ladies and gentlemen.
2: (laughs) Damn. It is this
0: wonderful and weird romance because... You, you have, like, there's clearly such joy between them, but there's so much baggage that they each carry with them. And the entire time, they're both afraid that Mio is going to die. And Mio is afraid that his mother is going to show up. And this book, we're, we're kind of getting to the point where we can't say much more without spoiling it. But it is seriously so well written. It is... It is a mystery. It is a love story. It is it hurt comfort? It is a musings on grief and abuse. It is. It is really a a breakdown of kind of what it feels like to leave your family because you know you have to for your own good. And that's a very powerful thing to cover in a book, uh, especially a a fantasy magical romance book. It it feels so you you would it would seem out of place, except it's so well done. It, the prose are written so well, Mio's written so well, everybody is so well written that you get into the story and you know that um, immediately that where it's going. Is going to be something profound in a way that you haven't read before.
1: And god damn it, I can't even like really make a ton of jokes, even though the big muscly guy is literally a bear. I can't like it's, it's yeah, so, it's such a good book. I just like Karin said, we can't spoil it. You need to go
0: read this one. You need to read it. You need to read about the bear and the twink. <laughs> Daddy and my twin, tail
1: as old as time.
0: <laughs> it's it's seriously it's a very, it's so well written. The the smut when you get it's hot. I'm not even gonna read the the hotter smut because oh. I, I want you to read it in context. Uh, I want you to be there with Mio and Rodri, um, and the twists, the turns, the plot, the. Even the 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 kind of like the resolution that you get, like the ending is so good. The ending made Roxy cry. Yeah, um, yeah. I will be buying the other two books in the series. I will be. Yeah, it's it's so good. Uh, you may hear another of these books on on the pod. Uh, I I know there's more. Um, and and they follow different characters, I believe, but I believe they're in the same world. So we already understand the world now. But I'm sure May still has surprises up her sleeves. Now, maams, I, I know, uh, Andy, that perhaps you, you can't weigh in on this fully. But what's the rating we're giving this book, Mams?
2: Um, I will rate it based on how excited I am to read it on my own time. Um, solid four, because I'm very hesitant about some of the things you guys mentioned, like it dealing with. But I'm excited to see characters deal with and move past those issues. I love that for you.
0: Because I think it it is... it is. I don't know. It's all just handled so well. Uh, I, I think maybe Roxy can speak more on that. But it is handled so well.
1: There is nothing I love more than characters in a fantasy novel feeling real. It's it's very much a, a balance and an art. And I'm going to I'm going to give this a five out of five. I'm going to add it to my five out of five list. It was once again, make sure you have milk with this brownie. It's very dense. You'll you'll need to um, give yourself time to process. But if it's not one of the best things I've ever devoured, five out of five.
0: It is a five out of five for me as well. I. Like I said, I need to take my time with it. Take your time with this book. Don't rush through it. Um, especially take time if you are somebody who has struggled with things in this book, such as, you know, gender identity, which Mio struggles with, abuse, um, the effects of abuse, um, all all things, uh, or grief, homophobia. Like, they're all things that are covered in this book. So give yourself time with it. Give yourself time to really read it and take it in without harming yourself. Um, But the story is so wonderful and it's so well done. And so it's such a realistic story for something in such a fantastical world. And I love that. I I love how down to earth this story that is so what the fuck really is. (laughs) All right, ma'ams. Do you want to talk fan fiction or do you want to tingle first? I couldn't
1: find anything close to this. I thought about finding Beauty and the Beast fan fiction. And I found some weird shit and I walked away. So, so.
2: I'll here. I'll I'll go ahead and, and provide something, Roxy, if that's okay. Yeah, and I I do have a fan fiction. So, um, I don't have a fan fiction, but I may have something for uh people that enjoy choose your own adventure stories. Oh, I'm a for Choose Your Own Adventure Stories. There's this website and or app called choiceofgames.com. Oh, I've used this before. Yes. One of my favorites. And it's free, I think, or it's free up to a certain point. Okay. Um, It's called Affairs of the Court, Choice of Romance. It is Italian-based, kind of a fairy tale, kind of like this. Um, And you can... Like, there is magic in this. Like... Um, and it's not a fan fiction, sorry, but I think it's important no, to no, different yeah. medias. Um, but basically like you're playing a character and, and you are, uh, most of these ignore like gender, um, like they don't ignore it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, but the king needs an heir and the king... King uh, is like a death mage, like descendant from death mages. There's death mages and life mages, and he needs a life heir because it has to swap back and forth. But you're a death mage, but you could still like you like that. You're like ah, fuck yeah, I want to end up with the king. Are you joking? Are you joking? <laughs>
0: are you joking? You know yeah. Anything?
2: Um. So there's just a lot of choices that kind of like take you through that, and it it reminded me of this. Um. This is much more complex and prosy and beautiful. Um, but, uh, if you want an experience similar, maybe like, uh, Lord of the Last Heartbeat Light, highly recommend something along those lines.
0: I, I love that, um, the app, uh, it, it's one of my favorites. I, I go to it when, like, I, I get, like, in this ADD mood where, like, I can't settle on anything, and I'm like, choose your own adventure!
2: Yep, yep. (laughs) Yeah. Good, good for, good for our ADHD pals out there. I
0: am
1: downloading it right now.
2: (laughs) Yeah, buddy, there's, they have vampire ones, dragon ones, they have... Like all kinds of different ones. Um, There's a lot based off of. uh, I've seen answer this. It's genuinely. I've beat it multiple times. I enjoy it a lot. Wait, what's it? It's called Choose Your Own Adventure. No, it's Choice of Games. Choice of Games. Yeah. Yeah, and
0: they are Choose Your Own Adventure games. Um, so uh, the fanfiction that I have, um, I. Of course, immediately. Um, when we had a a big, burly, dark and brooding man and a small, blonde-haired twink of a man, it, it was immediately back in my stucky
2: hole. Can I so, just say, I yeah. I don't think that you. I'm pretty sure you have yet to bring a fan fiction that is not stucky to this. I have. Point. You brought one or two i brought a couple i'm not judging no i was about to say i'm so thoroughly impressed a with you for finding them <laughs> but B with the stucky fandom for the fucking oh it's breath. massive
0: i i could find a fanfic for every book we've read i've just mixed it up because i didn't want to only bring stucky oh. because i brought pirates of the caribbean um i've brought um i've brought something else too i don't remember now I don't remember. But I bought not Stucky, but still Captain America.
2: Um, oh, yeah, I remember that <laughs> yeah, one.
0: Yeah, Um But yes, no, I can find a Stucky fanfiction for anything. Seriously, uh, listeners, if you need a Stucky fanfiction, I can find it for you because I'm real good at AO3. And the Stucky, it's it's broad, it's deep, it's wide. And oh, baby, do they love it. Um, Ayo? Ayo. So what I found... Um, it's, it's short, um, but it's called Take His Friends, Takes His Friends and Leaves Them Dead by Small Four, spelled S-M-O-L-L, and then the number four. It's a magic AU, uh, while very short, has a very similar vibe. It's very prose heavy. It's spooky and suspenseful, but has like this kind of like heart of gold down deep. It's violent, but beautiful and beautiful, but ghastly. Um, The themes are magic, mind control through music, unsettling atmosphere, and prose, content warnings, violence, horror, mind control, murder, and ableism. The summary... Bucky didn't intend to do this for long just needed the seasonal work needed a little money for himself but mostly needed to get out of the city. Brooklyn was his home when he was a child but as an adrift veteran it just wasn't suiting. An honorable discharge from the army on account of his life-altering injury earned him a GI bill but maybe if he had a little more money he could get a place of his own outside the city away from the noise and the stairs the unwanted comments and pity and fanfare. He just he just wanted to go away. Now, Bucky does not have a great time in this story, but he does still get kind of a happy ending. It's also sort of horrific. Um, But here is an excerpt. It's pretty short, um, but here we go. The woods are dark and deep, and Bucky was a small man in the face of it. The voice was constant, always in the back of his mind. And he found himself muttering under his breath, lyrics that he never learned, words that he's never read. He takes his work and acts to bed. He leaves his friends and leaves them dead. Who sang to him? Someone did, surely. Someone in the shadows. Someone's been singing it to them all. That same maddening tune, sing-song but otherworldly, lingering, stuck in his head like shrapnel. He can hear the other men singing it, too, as they work, muttering to themselves. He smells the blood and drinks his wine. He knows the moon and stars are fine. But no one can place it, and no one can hear any other kind of music. Just that same tune. The men frequently have to take breaks to go on solitary walks, rubbing their faces. Bucky knows, without them saying it, that they are just trying to drive that damn music out of their head. And I really can't say any more than the vibes are fucking great. I love a spooky story. This one doesn't hold back. We get a happy ending, but even in that happy ending, there's still horror. Um, it, it's it's short. It's I wouldn't say it's sweet. I would say it is unsettling and wonderful. Um, Small Four really did a great job of giving a spooky vibe but still giving you that ending where you're like, "Oh, that's nice." Is it nice though? Is it nice? I don't know if it's nice. Um, and it's it's really good. Uh really short. Uh highly recommend. It just it it gave me Lord of the Last Heartbeat vibes um when I found it. So, um, yeah. So that's my fan fiction. Now, are you ma'am's ready to tingle?
2: Tingle me, baby.
0: Oh, baby. Uh It's now time for our operatic tingling tingler. Billy gets a little quieter now, retaking her seat and then scooting towards me as she lowers her voice. You've never heard of the butt pounder of the opera? I shake my head. Who's that? Billy glances up towards the ceiling above her, as though someone might have their ear to the floor. Despite insisting that I'd be fine with a retelling of the story, I feel a sharp chill run down the length of my spine, as though a cold gust of wind has just made its way through the backstage area. The butt-pounder of the opera is said to live up in a tower above us, hidden away in the attic of the opera house, Billy explains. He's lived there for years, hiding in the shadows and watching the performances from afar. Actors say that on some nights, especially opening nights, like this, they spot him up in the rafters. I don't get it, I start. What's he doing up there? Suddenly, a few more of the cast members interject, wandering over to us and forming a circle. You guys talking about the butt pounder of the opera? Our lighting guy, Jimmy, questions. That's right, Billy replies with a nod. Corbin here doesn't know the legend. Now it's Jimmy's turn to take the driver's seat. The butt-pounder of the opera was once an actor here at the Billings Opera House. A Bigfoot with a voice of gold. He was one of the best opera singers this town has ever seen. The butt-pounder of the opera was also notoriously handsome. In fact, he was too handsome. Too handsome? I repeat back. Skeptical? I don't get it. Sure. He was bringing in the audience at first, Jimmy explains. He was so handsome that everyone wanted to get a look at the guy. The place was selling out every evening. The problem is... All the other actors couldn't deliver their lines. The Bigfoot was just too good-looking, Billy jumps in to explain. It was distracting. Nobody could be in a performance with him because they start staring and forget where they were. The Billings Opera House went from selling out every night to hovering on the verge of bankruptcy. So what did they do? I question, on the edge of my seat now as this mysterious tale unfolds. The only thing they could do, Billy continues. They banned the butt-pounder of the opera from this theater. Of course, as a lover of opera... The butt-pounder refused to leave. Well, they got him out eventually, I joke. The crowd just stares at me with faces so straight they might as well be chiseled into granite. No, actually, Billy finally continues. When they tried to kick him out, the butt-pounder of the opera fled into the rafters of the Billings Opera House. Legend has it that he's still up there, watching the shows from afar. The only difference is now is that the butt-pounder wears a mask to cover up half his face. Why? I question. He's too handsome, Billy reminds me. He doesn't want to reveal his entire mug and cause the actors to forget their lines. This excerpt is from The Butt Pounder the Opera. Looking for the sexy bits? Well, those secrets are chucks, not ours, and we don't kiss and tell. You can find this book on Amazon
2: and Kindle for $2.99. <laughs> so mad at you for that one. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> like, I'm mad at you for all of them always. But that one especially. I don't know. The fact that it's an incredibly handsome opera-singing Bigfoot. But power of the opera is there inside my butt.
1: <laughs> I'm going to go lay yeah. down. I'm yeah. going to.
2: <laughs>
0: I just have to look up Chuck Tingle Opera and I found it. Incredible. So. <clears throat> All right, ma'ams. Next week, we're returning to Moonies for our favorite songs, a Moonlighter novella by Anita Kelly. Yeah. Restless and disillusioned with his life, Aiden McCarcel is ready for a night out at the Moonlight Cafe with his best friend Penelope. One night to not think about how much he hates grad school, to watch queer people make fools of themselves singing karaoke, a simple, reliable escape. But when it's not Penelope who walks through the door at Mooney's, but the high school nemesis Aiden hasn't seen in five years, well, things get a little more complicated. For Kai Andrews, moving back home after his mother's death has been harder and lonelier than he anticipated. And running into McCarcel again? That had certainly never been in his plans. But he deserves a night out, away from the irresponsibilities and grief that have been weighing him down. Sure, it appears McCarcel still hates his guts, for reasons reason Kai has never quite understood. But maybe, with a decent dose of pop music and Mooney's magic, Kai can finally, finally make Aiden smile. Just this once. Just for tonight. As a surprising intimate night at Moody's brings Aiden and Kai closer together, a winter storm moves in, and what was meant to be a simple night out turns into over 24 hours of being snowed in together. Through confessions, memories, and games of Boggle, Aiden and Kai have to figure out if this unexpected second chance at connection was merely a temporary interlude, or if they can each come out better on the other side of the storm. In the meantime... Looking for hot content and even hotter vibes? Check out our Patreon. You can find it linked on our Twitter and Blue Sky, WBTYM Pod. You can also find us on Instagram with the same name. Plus, we have a Facebook page and Tumblr, if you're into that kind of thing. Please follow, rate, and leave a review on the podcast platform of your choice. Tell a friend, chase down a coworker. We've got so much love to give, and we need your help to spread it. Finally, we'd like to thank Acorns for our theme song and Ben for his editing notes. This has been Wham Bam Thank You, Ma'am. We hope we've left you thoroughly satisfied. Ready, ma'ams? Get flirty. And
2: And stay stay dirty. I can't believe you added Ben to the credits. I did.
0: Looking to share your passion with the world? Wham Bam Thank You, Ma'am and Podbean are here to help. As producer of WBTYM, I did a lot of research into hosting before taking the leap. And now you don't have to. Podbean's unlimited plan is easy, affordable, and flexible. With the ability to schedule episodes in advance, connect your feed everywhere podcasts are potted, and a comprehensive ads marketplace, Podbean has everything you need to share your show with the world. Don't just take our word for it. Go to podbean.com WBTYM to get the unlimited hosting plan free for one month. We can't wait to see what you make. Get flirty and stay dirty.